realize how much you rely on the hymnals in the book and to follow the music. I'm not going to pretend like I know how to read music, but I know how to follow the notes. <laughs> and so we'll see if we can get that a little bit better. Well, it's good to see each and every one of you here today. I pray that you've come into church not just to be here, but to hear from God. I really do. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. The book of Acts. <clears throat> I like the songs that we did sing this today. Fighting songs, but it's the Lord that does the battle, folks. We are going to cover a lot of ground today. It's good information, I believe. And uh, we'll begin in Acts chapter 3, and we'll be in verse 9. And so we're going to read 9 through 11 as we start this morning. Acts chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. The Bible says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. We're going to kind of now follow up with what's going on after this layman, a certain layman, had been healed. Let's pray. God, have your willing way in our heart and life. Pray that you've received our praise and worship this morning. May you have full access to our hearts, to my heart. God, unless you teach us, we'll not learn. So God, may we grow in you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now we're going through the book of Acts. We're taking this slow walk through the book of Acts, taking in all the sights. We're trying to find out if we're following in the apostles' doctrine. We want to make certain that we are a true New Testament church. In the first chapter we watched as Christ had stayed there on the earth for several weeks so they could provide those many infallible proofs that he had risen from the dead. Why? He knew what they were going to say. He knew what they were going to say. We watched and waited with the 120 who were all in one accord as they waited for the Holy Spirit. Then we witnessed the arrival and the filling of the Holy Spirit. We're in earshot of that great sermon preached by Peter. And then we watched as many were believed and were added to the church daily as such as should, should be saved. And then last week we talked about the certain lame man. And we learned from that that we were all born spiritually lame, in need of God, in need of a miracle. As we've talked about this, pray that we're making application in our own life, not just committing these things to memory, which is good, but making sure that we're making application in our own lives. So here we go. We're in ch uh, chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. The first thing we see is the astonishment of the people. The people were astonished. The people knew this man. They knew this certain lame man. They'd walked by him every time they'd gone to, went into the temple, went through the beautiful gate, and saw him laying there asking for alms. Give me some money. I need some help. Begging. That's all he knew. And they'd witnessed him. And they, they recognized him. Now all of a sudden, this guy is up and he's walking around and jumping and he's excited. And the Bible says he's praising God. Praising God. They knew this man. 
And yet this man was now a different man than they had ever known before. They'd never seen this man like this. It was a miracle of the change that had been done in his life. They had met him where they had never met him before. Certainly they never expected walking into the temple that day to see this man up and around jumping. This was a lame man. This man could not walk. And it was a scene that was so miraculous that the Holy Spirit recorded it in his word, in God's word. You know, we should note here that the world is, or at least should be astonished each and every time someone comes to Jesus Christ through the new birth. There should be such a difference in our life. He's made a change in my life. I can remember when my mom and dad got saved, as an example, the smoking quit, the drinking quit, the poker parties quit, they went to password, they began to witness and testify. I think it was within one year in the church where we attended, there were 11 families that were in the church, large part, and due to my folks just being willing to share the gospel. People getting saved come in. Why? Because there was something different. There was a change. And people recognized that in my folks' life. Same thing, same thing here with this man. The person they knew wasn't there anymore. Had the same name, but it wasn't the same man. Why? He had been changed. He had been changed. And now you see this lame man. Guess what? He's in the company of God's people. I think that's a big problem with a lot of Christians or about people that get saved. They get saved and they forget to hang around God's people. They forget to be around the children of God. And they go back into the world. They go back into those that they knew. And that's a big problem. Salvation is intended to provide astonishment. Well, in verse 11, we see assembly, their assembly. It says, and as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Again, we're reminded, this lame man that was saved, that had his life had been changed, he's hanging on to those that brought him to Christ. The prayer meeting was over. Peter and John and the healed man came back from the temple, back through the beautiful gate, and made their way this this, I'm told in an easternly direction across the outer court and notice what he's doing. He's hanging on to Peter and John. He knew where this healing had come from or through and he wanted to hang on to them. He wanted to hang on to them. You know, when you find something good, that's just like us. You want to hang on to that good thing. And certainly Jesus Christ is of all the best thing. He was hanging on to him. He wasn't going astray. This is a uh, characteristic of new believer. In that a new believer wants to be with believers. There's a real problem when believers don't care if they're with believers. God created the church. He loved and gave himself for it. We're the body of Christ. And he intends for us to come here and meet together. Meet together. We can take note here from the lame man. From the lame man. You know, new believer, older believer, if I can encourage you to do one thing, it's to get around God's people. 
and hang on to God's people. Hang on to God's people. If you go get a new job, if you move to a new location, the first thing you need to do is find a body of believers and join yourself to them. Why? We need that encouragement. We need that strength we can get from them. You know, in your mind's eye, you know, we can picture the man as he walked out of the temple, right past that gate, beautiful. And he probably, don't you think, as he walked by thinking, this is different, this is different, took a look over to where he would lay down and would beg, but no longer, no longer. You know, do you think that he may have said to Peter, you know, uh, thanks for what you've done. It's been great. But this place over here is kind of sentimental to me. And I want to stay there. I don't think so. Why? That was everything that was bad about what had been going on in his life. Now he is healed. And he was made whole. And yet so much of the time, Christians will want to go back into that ugly world from where they were saved from and came from. No way. He hung on to Peter and John. He hung on to Peter and John. It says what it says. And they ran together and they went through this porch. This is a result of a changed life. Transforming man. And because this man had been transformed drew a crowd. There was, there was so much different about him. He drew a crowd. He drew a crowd. Well, now this blind man was not a preacher, but Peter happened to be there. Amen. And so the crowd drew together. It made me think, hmm, he simply did what he could. He hung on to Peter and John. I'm not a preacher. But I'm going to let everybody see me walking with them. They'll know that something's different. Why? He wanted to share with them the goodness of the Lord. The goodness of the Lord. We've seen the multitude here. Now we need to look at the message. Peter again, another message in verse 12. It says, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power of or holiness we have made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and, and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Peter wasted no time. He got right into the message. Go right into the message. You know, I just want to point out something here. God uses ordinary people. I'm as about ordinary as they get. Well, Alice may not think I'm a little strange, but I'm as ordinary as it gets. God uses ordinary people. He uses ordinary people. First, first Peter denied that he and John were anything out of the ordinary. They denied that their goodness had anything to do with the healing of this lame man. In one statement, Peter destroys all the claims of the so-called holy man. 
Why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we hath made this man to walk? I made me think of those faith healers today. Hmm. The idea of trusting in saints to work miracles, huh? The notion that people can, from their walk, receive some sort of a special uh, merit or power, and that from the treasury of their goodness can work miracles for others. No, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ works miracles today. He works miracles today. And Peter quickly got to the point, it made me think of Brother Scheidbach, by, by taking uh, uh, plunging the sword of conviction deep into their soul, deep into their soul, just exactly what was the accusation against these people. They had rejected the Messiah. They had crucified the Messiah. In fact, Pilate, when Jesus stood before Pilate, he was willing to release him. And the people said, no, no, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. So Pilate said, sure. True politician, sure, whatever you want. Whatever you want. How quickly these tables had turned. Peter was taking these people back just a few weeks prior and confronting them with their crime. That's the sadness of their situation. Talking about the rejection of Christ. But now in verse 14, he gets down to the seriousness of their crime. The seriousness of their crime. It says, but ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted to you. Let me ask you, could there have been a greater crime than crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ? Isaiah had prophesied and had seen the Holy One. Saw him surrounded by the singing seraphim who hid their faces in their wings. Can you imagine? Around the holy God, and this is how the angels reacted. They hid their eyes because they dare not look on him. They dare not look on him. Yes, God can be my best friend, but sometimes we don't see him the right way as the almighty holy God. We should fall on our faces before him. He's the just one. And Jesus Christ was the just one. These seraphim would cry, holy, holy, holy. Oh my, we have trouble just saying praise God. The just one. The one who never deviated from the good and the right way. He had lived his life before them. In John he said, which one of you convinceth me of sin? He also said, I do always the things that please the Father. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. The dying thief on the cross said, this man hath done nothing amiss. And then Peter said, he did no sin. He did no sin. And yet they crucified him. They crucified him. He was the one Jews had forced Pilate to crucify. 
Pilate said, ye desire a murderer to be granted unto you. Talked about the sadness and the seriousness of the rejection of Christ. Talking about the sinfulness of it. The first part of chapter verse 15, it says, and killed the prince of life. Jesus Christ, the prince of life. The author of life. Life from nothing began through him. He spoke into existence. It was his idea. He was the creator. He was the sustainer. There was not a man, woman, child who did not owe him their very life. I owe him my very life. The breath that they breathe, we breathe, was in his hand. This one, the prince, the author of life, had come into the world as a man, and they had killed him, Peter was telling them. You have killed him. You have killed the Messiah. Could there have been a greater crime? Peter was trying to get them to recognize that they were sinners. This is, he was following the pattern that Jesus had given us in John chapter 4. So you see, when you're dealing with somebody about salvation, they need to understand that they're a sinner. And there's a reason that they in themselves cannot attain heaven. And that there's a reason that we needed someone to go in our stead. And that's Jesus Christ. That paid the penalty of all mankind. And Jesus dealt with the woman at the well. And he dealt with her sin. When you talk to people about the Lord. Talk to them about their need of a savior because of their sin. So Peter having dealt with the rejection of Christ. Now deals with the resurrection of Christ. He just keeps on going. Whom God hath raised up from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And, through, and his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you. And now, brethren, I wot, not, uh, wot that ye through ignorance ye did it as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. The great debate in Jerusalem at this time was, where's the body? Where's the body? We saw him crucified. We saw him die. And now that tomb is empty. Where's the body? Where's the body? The tomb had been sealed, and now they've had an empty tomb. The Sanhedrin has presented a problem. How are we going to get around this? Because the soldiers were frightened to death just about because of those angels. And they went back. They said, he's not there. He's not there. What did the Sanhedrin do? In Matthew chapter 28, it says that they silenced the soldiers and the term is large money. They gave them big bucks. Keep your mouth shut. Say that the disciples came and stole his body. Well, the disciples had not stolen the body. And you know what? Had the disciples stolen the body, the normal thing would, to, to have done would have been to simply had a trial. And they could have brought these disciples and put them on trial. And they would have been found guilty. But guess what? 
there was no trial because the Sanhedrin knew that Christ had risen. A trial was the last thing that they wanted to do. And Jesus knew what was going to go on. That's why he hung around for a while, was seen by so many people, and by 501 many. He did it to have all those in, many infallible proofs that he had risen from the dead. It was proof. That was the proof of the resurrection. The power of his resurrection, verse 16, it says, And his name through faith in his name hath given, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is in, which is by him, hath given him the perfect soundness in the presence of you all. They had crucified him, God had raised him. Now in his name salvation is offered to all men, all men. Miracles occurred in that first century church. And they were designed to demonstrate back in verse 1, chapter 1, where it says, all that Jesus began to do and teach as recorded in the gospel. There's the proof and the power of his resurrection. But he also went back, Peter went back and said, let me take it a step farther and let's talk about the prophecy of of his resurrection. He says in verse 17 he says and, and now brethren I wot that through ignorance she did it. Uh, maybe you just didn't know. Maybe you didn't understand. As did also your rulers. But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer he has so fulfilled. Peter's taking them back to their scripture that they used that they studied and he charged them and their leaders with ignorance of the scriptures. Ignorance of the scriptures. They were, they were getting their teaching from rabbis like uh, Hillel and Gamaliel. And there was a great deal of education going on regarding Judaism. But they had missed the prophecy. Remember, Jesus had charged the rabbis in Matthew chapter 15, blind leaders of the blind. Blind leaders of the blind. Consider for further evidence. Go back to John chapter 3 verse 10. We have the dissertation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And at one point Jesus said, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? They are ignorant. They are ignorant. There was some excuse of those not from, from Israel, like the Gentiles. But the Jews had no excuse. No excuse. They were looking for the Messiah. The problem was is they were looking for a militant Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah that would free them from the grasp of Rome and, and give them a kingdom. You know, I think we have to watch America. That may not be much unlike America today. We need to make certain as that we see the injustices done in this land. We turn and fall on our face more to God than try to stand in our own strength and anger. We should rely on God. We should rely on his love and his healing ability and not the militant Christ coming to condemn the world. We should fall on our face, we should confess our sin, and we should humble ourselves. We wanna see this land healed? That's how it's gonna be done. That's how it's gonna be done. Sure, you can, you can vote for the politician of your choice and you can stand up for what you believe in, but mark it down. It's going to be forgive our sin, heal our land, humble yourselves if you want to see this land healed. 
The Jews wanted a sovereign. They wanted a supreme ruler. They wanted a monarch, a king. God sent them a savior. He sent them so much better. He sent them a savior. Scriptures had prophesied both, but they overlooked it. It was the ignorance and unbelief of the Jews that had helped to fulfill these prophecies. They couldn't see the two comings of Christ, the two comings of Christ. Now let's talk about the return of Christ. And that's found in verse 19 through 26. We've started in 19. It says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times are refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Refreshing is like it's an outpouring, outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God and many turning to Christ. Isn't it refreshing when you've been in revival in a church and you've seen God moving and, and hearts getting right with God and Christians getting a new look at what they should have been doing all along. It reminds me of the, the teens when they go to youth camp, how that they come back refreshed and excited about the things of God. And then we adults kind of, oh, let's give it time. It'll fade away. Yeah. You know what? I don't want to be dead like that. I don't want to be dead like that. I want to have a freshness about me because of the freshness of his Holy Spirit. Those who did repent came at once into the good of that refreshing poured out upon them in Pentecost. And guess what? That still happens today. Still happens today. It's refreshing. It was a time of restitution, verse 20 and 21. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. The word restitution comes from a word meaning to restore to a former state or fulfill or to establish. Peter's words tells us that the Lord will remain in heaven until the time comes for the establishment of all that God has spoken up through all the prophecy, through all the prophecy. Peter's attempt to woo them to redemption was in vain, was in vain. So Peter warns them of retribution. Verse 22, and for Moses truly said unto the fathers of prophets, shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things, whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Retribution is punishment inflicted on someone or vengeance for a wrong or criminal act. You killed the Messiah. You killed the Messiah. Peter's quote was from Deuteronomy chapter 18. It was a clear messianic prophecy. The appeal to Moses was an appeal to an authority that they could not refuse. Peter was doing such a great job. He was touching all the bases. He was reminding them of the scripture that they were supposed to have known. He was bringing in people, prophets, that they had great admiration and respect for. Certainly, 
the appeal to Moses was an appeal to an authority they could not refuse. Jesus had crisscrossed this land, preaching and teaching and working miracles. They'd all heard him. They'd all heard him, or at least they'd heard about him. They'd heard what he had to say. He was God's fullest and final revelation of himself. Imagine that. And in hearing, they had not heard. Oh, I think sometimes as parents, we kind of want to pull our hair out. Guys, what little hair we might have left when we were trying to deal with our children. You hear what I'm saying? I'm talking to you. You hear what I'm saying? I'm talking to you. And over there, I, in my mind's eye, I, I'm hearing Snoopy going, rawr, rawr, rawr. you know, they hear a noise, but they really don't hear you. The Jews had heard him, but they really had not heard him. They had really not heard him. Jesus declared, declared, for this people's heart is wax gross in Matthew chapter 13. And their ears are full of hearing. And they, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. It was an appeal to Moses as prophet. He also appealed to many other prophets. He said, Moses is not going to work. Let me try some more. He says, yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, likewise foretold of these days. They told you these days were coming. They are here. You're part of this prophecy. Samuel was a prophet. He was the last of the judges. And he didn't write any books in the Bible. But he did anoint David, who certainly did speak about the Davidic covenant kingdom. Peter was reminding them using their scripture. Peter was speaking to an audience that was familiar with the messianic promises. The promise that the Messiah would be rejected. That the Jews did not admit that it was them that had rejected the Christ. Peter tried wooing them to repentance. Peter tried warning them of retribution. And Peter tried waking them to responsibility. Ye are the children of the prophets, he said in verse 25, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you, first God, having raised up the, his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. These words seemed to only aggravate their sin. It seemed to increase their responsibility. There was no excuse for them killing the Messiah. Of all the people on earth that should have known, that you should have known. Now they realize that their responsibility was unescapable, inescapable. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. My goodness. You stop and think about this and you watch all this unfold. You see the crucifixion of Christ and you wonder what was going on in heaven. What was going on the bowing of heaven. 
when you read about the, in the Old Testament, and you think of these angels, these legion of angels, that's their God. Holy, holy, holy. By the way, that's my God. That's your God. Standing there, probably swords drawn, ready to breach the boundaries of heaven. Let's go get them. Let's go get them. Just give us the order. Just go give us the order. We'll kill them all, God. We'll kill them all. But the mercy of God would not allow it. The grace of God. God provided mercy. Why? So that every man, woman, boy, or girl, from that time on, could have the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Gone a little longer this morning, but I appreciate your attentiveness. Peter reminded them of the rejection of Christ. He reminded them of the resurrection of Christ. He reminded them of the return of Christ. Peter spoke with them about their sin and he warned them of a coming retribution. Peter made plain their responsibility. Peter has made these same things aware to us this morning. See, this is the part of the message where we go, we've listened to it, we've learned some history, we've learned some scripture, we understand some things a little better now, but where do I go from here? If God is speaking to me right now, what is he saying? And by the way, he is, whether you're listening or not. Let me ask you, what's your state with Christ this morning? If you died today, do you know that heaven would be your home? If you do not know, today's the day of salvation. Receive Christ today. Child of God, what's your state with Christ? Well, I'm saved, you say. Well, praise God. And I'm baptized. Well, praise God. And I'm a tither. Praise God. And I attend church most of the time. Praise God. Those are things you're supposed to be doing. What's your state with Christ? How is God working in your heart and life? How are you different today than you were yesterday? If God's working in your heart and life, there'll be a difference. Whatever your need is this morning, and I have to believe that we all have a need, the altar's here. Father, I ask that you would have your will and way we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around.